0: I love that for you, the podcast celebrating the late bloomers and trailblazers of all walks of life. I'm Kelly, and we don't have Red today. This is going to be our first episode without her. She will be missed, but she's hard at work in class. But we are in such good hands today because I am so incredibly excited for today's guest. You all are in for a true treat on today's Tuesday Tea. We are talking to the one and only director, actor, drama therapist, AMFT and author of Wide Open, My Adventures in Polyamory, Open Marriage, and Loving on My Own Terms, Grace Walcott
1: yay oh, welcome you. to the
0: podcast i am so excited you're doing this i wanted to have you on for so long and this oh. is like the perfect time and you are just i was saying this before we recorded you are such like a trailblazer and a late bloomer and like a reinventor and you're just so inspirational and i'm just so excited for our audience to hear from you so thank oh. you again
1: you're so excited uh, to be here
0: before we get into the nitty-gritty we're gonna do some james Lipton inside the actor's studio questions so the first question is what is your favorite word oh
1: wow i think it would be transformation i love the idea of evolution and growing together and improving humankind for everyone in interesting thinking intelligent ideas
0: you're the first to say that and that is that is a like, perfect word for you i think So appropriate <laughs> that's such a good start to like introduce our audience to you okay but now on the flip side of that what is your favorite curse word Oh, uh, you know, fuck, you gotta, yeah. of course. <laughs> it encompasses <It's> so much. <laughs> got everything, the oof, the uh, and the kh, it's just everything, it's a verb, it's a noun, it's everything.
1: Fabulous. Yes.
0: What is your favorite sound? What came to
1: mind, what popped in, I'll just go with that, is like water, like gurgling brooks and rain and ocean waves. I, I love water.
0: Berkeley, so, I mean, <laughs> that would do it, right? Or you, you're adjacent, are you Berkeley or are you adjacent to Berkeley? You're
1: Oakland? Oakland, but okay. yeah, we're yeah. so
0: close to Berkeley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love water. What is your favorite food or, you know, a snack food or a category of food?
1: Okay, I'm gonna say what popped into my head. I, yeah. I love vegetables. Vegetables done really well. Like, I'm vegan, so, you know, I, I love the creativity of, uh, you know, creating a burger with them, or sautéing them, or all the different spices. I also feel really good when I eat vegetables. I feel like I have a rabbit in me.
0: <laughs> so you me Pizza, pasta, but, like, a good vegetable, you really can't, like, fuck with it. Yeah. Like, it's just yeah. the best thing. Oh. I
1: do love pizza and pasta though. I make them with like a cauliflower crust. Oh,
0: wait, that's my favorite. Honestly, it's underrated. People give it shit, but I think it's actually better. Honestly. I really like
1: it. Yeah, Yeah,
0: me too. Oh, good start. Uh, What is your favorite place to visit?
1: Okay, what popped into my mind was Italy. I'm Italian, half Italian and It's just such a great culture. The wine, the fashion, the food, the manja, you know, um, the heat, uh, you know, different places that are really warm. Yeah, I love Italy.
0: What is your favorite quote? The
1: quote that I said in my film, uh, River of Life LGBTQ+, about Toni Morrison saying, you know, if there is a book that you want to read and it hasn't been written yet, you must write it. And I think that there, that, you know, she's talking about writing a book, you know, that film was the film that I wanted to see, it was the workshop I wanted to do, and and the book that I wrote was also the book, you know, that I really wanted to read. But I also think it's a great way of life if you look around and you see something like, wow, I wish this were happening. I wish this were more available in my community. like Make it happen. Like we, I think we have more agency than we sometimes realize.
0: That's already so inspirational put what you want to see in the world. Because I feel like a lot of times in the creative field, you're trying to appease like certain network standards and what they're looking for. But it's like, if you write what speaks to you and what you want to see, chances are others will follow and you'll find your audience. So I love that you said that. So good on you. I love that quote. Favorite movie? i have
1: to say one of my favorite movies and this this is as a vegan feminist <laughs> gender expansive person this will probably be surprising but i thought i just think the godfather is one of the most perfect movies oh, of all time archetypally like if you look at all those characters like uh, marlon brando the godfather is like zeus and Sonny is like aries and Michael's like Apollo, like they're so archetypal and it's really one of those like biblical stories about what happens when any one of those archetypes really overtakes the family or the life that you're leading and, and where it can lead you astray. So I, it is yeah. a violent movie. I think also I vividly my, remember my mother, I came down, I was only 10 and my mother was talking about this guy Sonny and he his um, sister got beaten up by her husband and he went and beat up the husband and I was like who are these people (laughs) you're saying and I've watched it a bunch of times I just I also watched a cut of it where Coppola had it it wasn't the final cut and there were some scenes that he was forced to cut and I thought it was really interesting because it was actually better with the cuts so I don't know it's just really interesting artistically to look at that movie
0: Well, I would not have expected that answer, but the way you put it is so biblical and beautiful that it just like it all like, adds up to like who you are as a person. I love that.
1: I forgot when I first got to see it when it came out. It was like incredible, considered incredibly violent, and it is violent. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But now, like some of the stuff that's out is like, that, oh, that yeah. was just tame, you know? It is
0: tame. yeah. It's so interesting how standards have changed, but it is a masterpiece for a reason. Yeah. yeah, oh my gosh. Good, okay, did not see that answer. Love this. Many many layers, so many dimensions <laughs> so to you. What is your favorite karaoke song, if you have one?
1: Oh, karaoke song! You know, there's this great piano bar where people uh, get up and sing stuff, and I always pick the like things that Ella Fitzgerald would sing, or that she's kind of in my my voice is in that range, so like Night and Day. Um, so it, you know, I don't know if that's really karaoke,
0: but I mean, that's a good place to be though, Ella. Like in her range, so that yeah. you could pull that off. That's impressive. I mean, you are a performer, so I would expect nothing less. But wow, Miss Ella. Love that. Love (laughs) this. Okay, favorite compliment you've ever received and or like to give. It's a hard one. You know, I've had
1: clients who took the workshop that i made the film about where we did drama therapy and psychodrama and a few people came back to me and said you know i'm still chewing on processes that we did in the workshop and it's really changed me it's really like improved my life and that to me is just um that makes my heart sing (laughs) you know if any art or or uh, healing work really improves someone's life. That is, I don't know. That's just for me the best, best of life
0: oh you're changing lives i really i cannot wait to get into that because i'm so <laughs> impressed with what you're doing and you're just giving back to those around you and, and giving people a place to work out the trauma yeah so you're so really much doing trauma something in
1: the world so I much just,
0: trauma in the world so, and so much you're, trauma especially like,
1: with all the stuff oh that's happening in the world now but yeah so powerful oh
0: my gosh okay favorite book
1: This is my library here of
0: books. You guys can't see it, but it is. in Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. This isn't video. I have like over five hundred books here. Um, Wow. What is one of my favorite books? All right, I'm gonna have to turn and just look. I have some of my. Wow. It is Um, impressive, guys. You know, Bastard Out of Carolina is an amazing book. The Kiss by Katherine Harrison is an amazing book. The I tend to go for memoirs but by people who are really, really great writers and really deeply go into their experience of their life and come out the other side kind of mastering themselves. So those are those are a couple books. I love Anne Lamont. I love oh, Oh, Operating Instructions is a book like that. Operating that Instructions? Book?
0: No, what, I'm writing this down. Who is this by? Operating Anne
1: Instructions? Anne Lamott, and it's about her. She got pregnant unexpectedly, and decided to keep the baby, and it's her documentation of the first year of her son's life, and also her best friend, spoiler alert, dies of cancer. So it's this incredible birth life, and she is so hilarious, and...
0: I was gonna say it sounds heavy, but is there some like levity to it? Does she? I cannot believe how funny
1: this book is. Really? Yeah, she is really, really funny. I'm
0: gonna. I'm literally gonna go into the library and get it today. Oh, you love it! Operating instructions? Okay, I like
1: books that. (laughs) Yeah, she she has this moment where she describes uh, she has this crush on this guy. She's single, and uh, and then she finds out. She says. Two of the worst, most offensive things that she could find out about a man. He voted for George Bush and he doesn't give head.
0: Oh my can we put that on a sticker? <laughs> and I can see where you because you we'll get into the book, but yeah, yeah, that's like kind of how you deal with what dealt with your memoir. It's yeah. very good, yeah. like mix of both of those tones and mm-hmm. so yeah. funny. Remember. So poignant. And then what is your favorite season, color? smell drink feel free to go with any of those if you have things if you don't
1: don't worry Um, about it yeah you know I actually i was raised in boston in new england outside of boston and fall is very magical i feel like uh i was born in fall november 20th so i'm yeah and and all my favorite colors like Reds and oranges that the, the yeah. I love red, I love purple, I love hot pink, I, ha- I love leopard. I have, those are my four <laughs>
0: colors. In my You'd be like a Barbie dream house like dream, like <laughs> exactly. with every texture yeah. and color you can imagine. <laughs> oh I love that. Favorite holiday? You know, I like Thanksgiving. Oh, I love
1: Halloween is actually Samhain, which is the witch's new year and I'm a witch, so I love Halloween. I love Thanksgiving because it's just like, cooking together with people you love and hanging out and drinking wine. Some other holidays, like even though I'm a pagan, we do Christmas and I'm just amazed. Our family is trying to take the activation out of Christmas. It's such a loaded holiday. Like all these emotions about Christmas in, I think it's a holiday that it's, it's like, you're supposed to have this perfect family. And if you don't, which, who does, you know, um, it can bring up a lot of emotions for people. So, yeah,
0: that's such a good point. Like me and Sean, we always go away for Christmas because we don't want to deal with it. It's just so loaded. You're right. But it's like, why does it have to be that way? So I'm glad that you guys are, it doesn't seem like it's working out. Like everybody's taking the charge out of it and it's just, you guys exist peacefully on the holiday or. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: we like we process it all the time. We're like, I okay. we yeah. taught my kids to like this communication skills, and and so we this year we had several meetings where we were like, what does everybody need to make it be a fun Christmas? And you know, we got a step closer to it. For me, I'm fine. I I love my family. I, I, it's just a wonderful day together, cooking and hanging out. But it's still really charged for people in my family, so it's interesting. Yeah, wow, we're, we're not quite there yet
0: yeah <laughs> Somebody, let us know how you do it because that only exists in hallmark movies i feel like for a reason really? I Yeah,
1: think that's the messaging and the problem yeah it's not a hallmark card it's you know no. there's no. some huge expectation yeah
0: absolutely last two what is your favorite kind of gift i like with my
1: kids i have four kids (laughs) and i've said every year on my birthday i say to them i want a love letter like give me a love letter or or art one kid's a filmmaker one kid's a a beautiful artist or an experience together because i have enough things yeah i mean you know it's uh You know, also just as kids grow up, the things that they noticed, like my son said to me the other day, like, you know, I think it's really good that you made us go to therapy when we needed it because I I have some friends and they're really suffering. And, you know, I can see that they didn't get that opportunity to work out some of their, you know, stuff. And, you know, so like, it's so interesting hanging out with kids because they're, they evolve and they start noticing things about the way they were raised that, you know, at the time they took for granted or they thought everybody was going through or how old really, is he
0: he is 18 okay so that's a pivotal time
1: yeah and he's yeah. seeing
0: that firsthand and with his friends wow yeah
1: yeah It's kind of rough out there for, uh, especially because of the pandemic and the quarantine and teenagers his age and around that age. It's almost like they missed a chunk of time developmentally, you know?
0: Yeah, Gen Z. I empathize with them so much. I don't know how I would grow up in that era now. I don't think I would do very well. It's so isolating such a yeah. different oh, and then being online from from your birth it's like yeah. at least i had a little bit of time offline but they're just comparing themselves to their peers constantly right and d- it's right. damaging self-destructive social media yeah. will be the end of us all but we know <laughs> <laughs> but couldn't for getting them in therapy before you know and having ways to process that that's yeah uh, very yeah admirable yeah yeah
1: they're all, uh, they're all doing good so yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, and I forgot one more before the last one. Uh, what was your favorite subject in school?
1: Okay, I'm going to go with what jumped into my head. I loved Latin. I did drama. I lo- loved drama. I think I was an actor way before I was a writer. And I I think language and words, what I love about Latin, it's a, a lot of times it's you learn the etymology of of different languages. And, you know, because Latin is this old uh, language. And yeah, just words are so interesting to, you know, have the exact word that describes something is, you know, just very cool.
0: Wow, do you still remember any Latin today? I do, I have, um, I look up my Latin
1: words, like, okay, one thing really? that comes to mind is, uh, I think it's, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, you know, it's not a speaking language, but uh, like cedo or something is to kill. So there's like homicide, fatricide, uh, like in all the uh, matricide, you know, are it the the root is um, this cedo. Latin word for kill.
0: Oh my God. <laughs> That's a <not> very beautiful. <laughs> so beautiful. Whoa. I never noticed that yeah that's so fascinating what about uh, like anything with like love that we like anything that originated from Latin and like the love sphere since this is coming out in February anything Valentine's-y that, that originated
1: yeah. Um, well there's uh, my I used a Latin in, in my logo for the film uh, I kind of don't tell MGM. <laughs> I used the lion and and I read what their logo was and I put, uh, I can't remember exactly what it was, but vivra means, um, I use this Latin expression which means, uh, you know, uh, to live to uh, live your fullest life or your fullest authentic self and and in Latin the French word to live is vivre and you know it's um, I'm not sure where it comes in in the English language but right. I'm, I'm sure it probably does. Yeah. Vivra.
0: Love. Yeah. That's my mission for 2024. I mean, everybody has their resolutions. Oh yeah, do you have, (laughs) this isn't a question, but did you have any resolutions or do you have any resolutions or do you make resolutions, I should ask? Are you a resolution
1: person? Yeah, I don't make resolutions because as a witch, I'm always like manifesting and drawing treasure maps and casting spells so like I'm always transformation is my thing so I'm always right, right. Like, in that, in that you're,
0: vibe you're ahead of us all <laughs> the rest of us you're just like I've been doing this from get go I don't need January 1st Like, <laughs> so you're ahead of the game okay last question what is your favorite thing about yourself
1: I'll say what my family says about me, that they have convinced me is a very cool thing about me, is um, I get really excited and enthusiastic about People and things that I'm doing, and it was really interesting during the during the pandemic. I started to get depressed, as so many of us did, like that first three months when we realized, like, oh shit, this isn't going <laughs> away. No, and my em- enthusiasm started to go away, and and I went on Prozac, which really helped, and uh, and it came back, and I ended up every Saturday night, I I made every but we, we it was the six of us, four kids and two adults and i would throw a dinner party and people would cook with me you had to dress up to the nines we danced we did karaoke and it was that like enthusiasm and you know view for a love of life that like got us through you know it, it was you know we we got super close as a family. And to this day, like, we'll be like, Hey, should we do another one of those dinner parties that, you know, we did during the quarantine and we all cook together and you, you wear your cutest outfit that you can pull off. And uh, uh, yeah, like enthusiasm has um, it got me like making the film and doing these workshops and going back to school to get um, a degree at, you know, in my fifties. So it's like, Yeah,
0: I admire you for so many things, but you really do like you have so much zest and passion for everything in life and all it has to offer. You're not letting age or anything slow you down. You you (laughs) have more energy than I do. Like you, and I think it was yeah, 2020. I think I met you. I was just like this woman. I want to be her. (laughs) Like you are so just such an energizer bunny. So that is, I can see why they love that about you.
1: So that makes me very. I I thought about that. How people um, talk about. Like you know, this isn't the time to write a book or write a screenplay. We wrote a TV show. Today. We wrote a TV show. Amazing TV show. You know, I, I do <laughs> want to just name because I I really hate it when people do like we wrote that uh, TV show, which was so fun and so amazing to get to do that during the quarantine and. You know, my spouse had a job. He did not get laid off. You know, he he, we were able to pay the bills, and so it was a certain amount of privilege that allowed me to be able to stay inside and write something. So, for many people, that was just um, a very devastating time in terms of mental health
0: understand yeah 100%. 100% and I, I'm just like because I was I mean we were all depressed but like having that project with you and I, I was so like passionate about it and like in love with you that I was like thank god for this because it gave me something to like take my mind off the doom and gloom you know it was like the yeah. shining light in yeah. my day so that was
1: so and fun it'll
0: be on screen one day I'm yes. positive we just have yes. to find the right buyer <laughs> but we will okay so we got oh my god so many questions for you or do we begin okay so before we get into like nitty-nitty-gritty. Tell me about Grace as a kid, teenager, young adult. What did you gravitate towards, away from? What was your upbringing like? And what was your coming of age like?
1: Um, well, I, w- I was always a little actor, performer, loved to sing and dance and, you know, star in skits. And that really helped me because I was surrounded by my mother had gone through a lot of trauma. She developed a mental illness and was pretty unstable and married some. She, My stepfather was very violent. And uh, she was only married to him for three years. But I was an enthusiastic kid. I had the the ability to gravitate toward people who were enthusiastic about me and affirmed me so there were ways that I got certain parenting and help from other people in a way that my mother wasn't available for mm-hmm. um, but I really didn't like my high school I was raised in a very provincial town outside of Boston which actually has totally changed now it's become filled with like different cultures uh, it's Arlington Massachusetts It's right near Cambridge. Oh, wow. But it was, I used to get on the bus and go to Harvard Square because they had like old movies and, you know, cool restaurants and a lot of culture, a lot of really interesting bookstores and thinking. And that really like inspired me and kept me going. And then, I went to Bard College, and those were like four of the happiest years of my life. I acted all the time, and I was my senior class president. I was so loved, and and you know was away from uh, what had been a really difficult family environment. But uh, I also really had so much healing. I had an, I had a they used to call it an eating disorder. Now they call it disordered eating, <laughs> which I could explain. Uh, you know, th- th- there's a lot more awareness. Um, oh, actually, this was a pivotal book that I read Fat is a Feminist Issue by Susie mm-hmm. Orbuck. It was written in the 80s, and she was one of the first people to really draw the correlation between hatred of the body, eating disorders, and uh, social oppression, and misogyny, and racism, and poverty. Like, way actually, she probably didn't touch on poverty and racism, but we we know now that these are contributors to yeah. to how you can get misaligned with your body and with Uh, nourishing your body with food
0: I personally also experienced disordered eating in my teen years I think a lot a whole generation of women in the 90s and the 2000s definitely did was that for me it was because when my life was spiraling out of control that was the only thing I could control was that where yours came from was that just like how you could control something in your life Sure,
1: sure. Yeah. I mean, it was also I was in the acting world. And there were, it was a very anorexic right. world. So I felt right. huge pressure to be skinny. But yeah. it was a way of numbing out a way of mm-hmm. trying to help myself. Um, you know, I, I, when I couldn't tolerate emotions, I would binge. And, Mm -hmm. you know, because there was a lot of trauma and violence, that was a thing, you know, when you're a kid, like what choices do you have? You don't have a lot of choices. And my food disorder really started when I was a teenager and started getting breasts and hips. And I think Mm -hmm. also looking back, seeing violence against my mother, and then Starting to become female was very frightening. It was like I don't want that experience, and and even since then, you know, I've realized like, oh, I'm gender expansive. Like, there's a part of me that's male. There's a part of me that's female. There's a part of me that is neutral around gender, and that was also something that I had to figure out. Like, and nobody at that time was talking about non-binary or gender deconstructing gender and what it meant. And so my life has gotten better and better every year just with like understanding myself and going back to school, like this generation, everybody like under the age of 35 is so bringing these really interesting ideas around social justice, around bodies, around gender, around equality. So there's there's so much more evolved thinking in, in these areas that I think for many of us, we really got stuck and stifled in.
0: I have to say I, I was even introduced to something when I saw your pronouns are she, he, correct? That's so right. Yeah. I had, I actually, I, I don't know if I, I'm naive or I just hadn't been exposed to it before. I didn't realize that was a a pronoun. She, he. So right. is that, that's just your, as you said, the masculine and the feminine. You the masculine and the voice.
1: feminine. And yeah. honestly, you could throw a they and make very uh, okay, easy. Okay. My pronoun. Yeah. I realized that uh, when I went back to graduate school for psychology at uh, California Institute of Integral Studies, and there were a lot of people using the pronoun they. And, um, you know, at first, it was very confusing. And, I didn't want to make a mistake. And then one day I was thinking about it and I thought, you know, I would, I would never be a they like that reminds me of college. And um in the queer community, the people who were sort of uh, androgynous and Mm -hmm. I never felt androgynous. And then I remembered cross dressing in, in college and passing as a man. And it scared me. I couldn't figure out why really at the time, but really, what it was, was that I was playing with gender. And I've always played with gender, like really exaggerating the feminine when I get dressed up. And and also, you know, like I have a tuxedo and I have some suits and like playing with the masculine. At the time, though, we didn't have the language for what we were doing. It was, um, it was just very different. They were like butch femme roles, but there wasn't a way that you could encompass both of those. So wow, you know, now people are just like, yeah, like how do you relate to your gender? How do you identify, which is very cool.
0: I love that. Thank thank you Gen Z, you know. They bring a lot to the table and they they're bring a redefining lot the how we go about our work life, our sex life, our mm-hmm. gender expression. So, kudos to you Gen Z. I'm not one of those hating millennials. I appreciate all you're doing in advancing the dialogue and discourse in 2024. So, Rewinding, so you graduate, and what, what, where do you go from there? What's your trajectory in your acting career? Where are you living? What is, right. what is the post-college life like for you?
1: Well, I graduated from Bard, and I moved to New York City, and I started acting, and I was absolutely miserable and lonely. <laughs> and um, Bard was close to New York City, so I did have people that I knew that I went to college with, but. I, that's when my trauma really surfaced. And I realized how much healing I had to do. And I ended up meeting my first husband, Hank, one night at a friend's a fellow actress, we, uh, she was from New Orleans, and, and it was really flamboyant. And, um, and he came to uh, visit her from Los Angeles, and completely fell in love with him. He ended up moving to New York City, uh, so that we could be together. 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 And that's when New York City started to be fun. Like, I didn't have any family and I was incredibly poor, and it it was not fun at first. Um, New York City is a town where, you know, if you have no money, you feel like your little face is pressed up against the bakery window and none (laughs) of
0: the pastries are for you. it's a great town if you have money but yeah if you don't i can imagine it's got to be ramen and like living in what like 100 square feet exactly Exactly.
1: it's funny i lived i have always been very lucky or like witchy about manifesting stuff so i when i first moved to new york city somebody had a great aunt on Park Avenue who needed someone to live with her. I still remember her name, Julia Dretson. She was part of the Volkswagen heiress kind of thing. She had this amazing apartment and I had a bedroom on Park Avenue completely not prepared for the classism that was a part of that whole scene and the the bellboy or what are they the the people around the elevator and the whole building I mean some of them were nice but a lot of them really sexually harassed me like I was 23 22 and just I was so when I look back at how young I was and navigating New York City without any money or help or family I'm just kind of amazed that I landed on my feet like
0: how did you like like what were you worth? Were you working at like waitress jobs? Were you working on a stage? How were you surviving? See, um,
1: I was a bike messenger. I have this great Amazon resume of crazy jobs that I've done. I have been a wrestler, a female wrestler.
0: Wait, I'm sorry, Grace. What? I Like, like the glow days, like glamorous ladies of wrestling. Yes.
1: Yeah. When I moved to San Francisco, it it was very well paying. Like if you won 20 minutes of wrestling, you got $300. And if you lost, you got $60 for 20 minutes. But wrestling is brutal. Like it is. I mean, and I was the tallest. I'm like six feet tall and the strongest, but I didn't have that killer mentality when I, wrestled. But anyway, I did crazy jobs. I was a bike messenger for a while in New York City and Honestly, I loved New York City. I was happy to leave there because San Francisco was much more of a gentle town and I became a playwright. I wrote my first play in San Francisco. It was this big hit and it moved to uh, this venue called the Chi Chi Club and kept playing for like six months. And it was more like people, the theater scene and the art scene in general in San Francisco. Well, I'll, I'll talk about the theater scene a lot of theater people are here because they love the theater and they're not looking to become famous and they they just love the craft and in fact nash bridges was filmed here with who's melanie Griffith's husband
0: john johnson there it is we got there
1: I was cast as a a role in that uh, TV series because they were shooting it in San Francisco. And it was so funny because all the L.A. actors would come up and then they would go back to L.A., And they were like, I'll never forget, like between takes, they kept saying to me, like, why are you here? Why do you stay in San Francisco? And, you know, it was really hard to describe it to them. But like as a playwright, like it is a theater town, like where people really they love it and unfortunately like the sf chronicle started covering more celebrities in the Mm. 90s and and so Mm -hmm. we lost that mirroring of the work that we were doing but angels of america came from san francisco and moved to new york city like there are amazing theater pieces that original Whoopi goldberg came out of um san francisco i did
0: not know that yeah whoa so is that why so was it a job or like hank or it was it was the playwright community that brought you there from New York? Was that um, why you went? I
1: have like quit the arts so many times. <laughs> <I've
0: been left laughs> Stop. Stop.
1: Get me out of New York City. I'm done being a actor. And then I came to San Francisco, and I started just took this improv class uh, with Marcia Kimmel that turned out to be really healing and really the beginning of my roots of doing drama therapy. Right. But then out of that, when you do improv. Uh, or really any of the arts, what's so amazing is they can bring you like drawing, improvising, it brings you right to the core of your themes of your trauma, if you're doing therapy, but then you can work with it creatively to heal yourself. So I just started writing a play and then got a producer. and, And then I was like, wow, writing is really where it's at for me, because just interpreting people's stuff is um i you know i have a big voice i have a lot to say you really
0: do yeah (laughs) you're fascinating i mean you are a beautiful writer like i'm glad you found it and yeah so the witch of it all and how that came into your life and how it's in your life today tell me about that
1: um i it uh it can't You know, as a kid, I was always having witchy things happen where uh, really like little miracles that like saved me from harm and intuitive sense of directions to move into. And so I was always fascinated. And when I came to San Francisco, I really wanted to find someone that I could learn from, a witch. And I finally did at this like party that I went to and I was initiated. And it's still... Very good friends with uh, the person who initiated me, Bear, um, and uh, it, it's interesting. You know, I just want to say, as part of my private practice as a therapist, I work with people who are mystics and witches and people sometimes who don't know what's happening, and then we and then we kind of, I mean, you know, I kind of magnetize them. It's there's this magic that happens where people find each other. But I do uh-huh. want to say. I am still amazed by the ignorant and prejudicial things that people say about witches. And I really think it's a measurement of misogyny in a culture because Witches in ancient times were the healers, the herbalists, the midwives, and when the Catholic Church came in and the burning times happened, they were there was a financial incentive to really wipe out the people's religion was what it was called. Like we we do our rituals in a circle, which is very egalitarian. It was not a hierarchy. It was not like I have to talk to the Pope to reach God. It was like God is in nature. It's in our bodies. It's in ourselves. And um, yeah, so I just want to say that if you're listening to this podcast and you heard that I'm a witch and you go, oh, damn, I I liked her. I thought she was, (laughs) (laughs) you know, really consider like, where are you getting your information from? And if it's primarily from Walt Disney, do some research because there are there. Starhawk is an amazing writer. I've got all her books on on my shelves and Starhawk Dreaming the Dark. um, Also, uh very political, a lot of witches are very wrapped up in social justice and equality, you know, because that is like in our bodies, in our religion, the way that we move through the world. And when I initiate people, it's really helping them to discover their internal powers and their their psychic gifts that will help them create the world and the life that they want to create. So it's very satisfying work. It's very fun work.
0: So when you say initiate, I'm thinking people are thinking, what is this a cult? What are they doing? Going in the dark of night with cloaks in the woods. Tell me what that looks like, how you were initiated and how you practice it in and community, and what it actually right. is in 2024. Well, yeah.
1: one thing, you know, I want to say, like that is a stereotype. You know, we fry up cats and it is a process. God, so so many things just jumped in my head. Ask me the question again, like, what does initiation entail?
0: What does it actually look like when you were initiated, when you're initiating, how it's practicing with the community, just like what it is in practice and the day-to-day and what it actually is. Yeah.
1: Right. Well, first of all, it really is the opposite of a cult, because when you're being initiated, you're really asked to know yourself. And I think which is from an English word meaning to know and to really know who you are and how you can make a contribution and create the life that you want. And um, also, one thing you do is you contact your your ancestors, which is something that really needs to happen in the United States. <laughs> we need to get in touch with the wisdom of our ancestors. You know, a lot of people of color tend to be better at this and more connected with their ancestry and this whole notion of whiteness sort of erases unique culture in a, in a certain kind of way like oh we're all white which is kind of an illusion but like I have gone back and talked to my Scottish ancestors and my Italian ancestors and there's this whole notion that like time happens all at once and that's a very weird thing to wrap your mind around But when I talk to these ancestors that I'm connected to, especially in my Scottish line, they're working on the same things that I am. There's a way that the misogyny and the trying to create a world where people can really be their fullest self is what we're doing in real time together, even though they're on the other side and in the spirit world. So it's things like that that are very... Um, very healing, you know, when people get a sense of, and like I journal every day. I have like so many journals that I'm going to uh, give to my descendants because, and they have my book and my film. <laughs> but it was so cool if I could go a few centuries back and talk to my uh, Italian great, 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 great grandmother. Like, uh, what was she thinking? What was going on with her? And so that's part of the work is that we call it the veil, like the veil is at its thinnest on Halloween. It's the, the spirits are around and you can really connect with your ancestors. And the information is valuable that it it's, it's intuition and it's uh, carrying on your lineage and um, your, your life purpose, which is, you know, connected to everyone thriving. Like the, the idea of witchcraft is that one of our mottos is like harm none. And we actually believe that whatever we put out in the world comes back to us three times. So if you attack someone, that'll come back to you three times. That's that really sucks. And I really do believe that. And I know that as I do healing work with people, the healing that I'm experiencing is yes, three times what I was experiencing before. Like, It gets back to that, you know, when people in my workshop come and say, like, I love myself more. I feel better. Um, That heals me, too. It's very reciprocal. So I do. Uh, That is one of the principles of witchcraft and initiation that, uh, you know, what you put out, it's that infinity symbol, which is my business logo. It will come back to you. So, you know. And and you see that in the karma of people. E- even when the justice system fails us, you see like uh, Jeffrey uh, Epstein. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a great way to go. I mean, no. I think he should have been jailed and he, he should have paid for all the trafficking that he did. 100%. And what a terrible, terrible last part of his life. Like it finally did come back to him.
0: Karma. Uh, yeah i think i'm a witch i think we've officially established that i think i am a witch <laughs> yeah. Yeah. i thought i have like a whole podcast now on this but i realized we only have 25 more minutes with you and we haven't even gotten to what some would call the marquee topic so can you tell the audience about that day in your backyard when you felt this term compersion for your husband and Can you go from there? Go into what that means. Where the opening of your marriage comes into play. Go for Mm -hmm. it. Jump off there. (laughs) (laughs) The
1: moment when... I got the idea to open my marriage from a friend, a witch who did therapy with her husband for like a year to open their marriage. And she, because she was realizing that a part of her was attracted to women and that she wasn't getting to live that out. And this is something that is, that happens sometimes to poly people is that you start to realize like, I can't fit into this marriage box that is prescribed for me. And for me, I felt a little mismatched sexually with Henry, which which is um it, it, you know, like kink people are very very clued into this of like who you fall in love with isn't necessarily who you have the like share the same sexual fantasies with and the same kink. And you know, can't we experience all of ourselves, you know, w- with care and with intention and with boundaries. And I think when I saw my friend open her marriage with a lot of care and intention, I came back to Hank and said, um, you know, uh, can, can we open our marriage? And he was like, "That that is really out of the box thinking. Like, I like that. That's <laughs> And he was scared, but we researched it and we ended up doing it. And um, that's what my book, Wide Open, is about by Gracie X. GracieX.com. It's on Amazon. Um, It's
0: really good, guys. (laughs) You're going to see it on the screen one day. (laughs)
1: Yeah. As a writer, I was like, this is going to be interesting. Like, take notes. And it did not disappoint. Like, I, you know, in Berkeley, what blew me away was as soon as I started connecting with people around polyamory, there were like sex parties and kink parties and poly people and all these people who were creating their relationships in very creative ways and, and really learning communication skills and going the extra mile to create that what they wanted in their relationship and so that's what we did and we ended up I fell in love with Oz and we created a duplex and I lived on one side with Oz and Hank lived on the other side with Valerie and our kids could go back and forth and then we got sued. (laughs)
0: Can we talk about that? Because I, when I found this out, I mean, that is the big part of the story. And it's like, you think that in that community that you're in, it's such like a a part of the culture and accepting, but no, you almost got your kids taken away by the court. Is that correct?
1: Oz's ex-wife, I think consciously, unconsciously, we were vulnerable because we, you know, it is not an accepted thing. And it is equated with being a bad parent and so that's what she leveraged and tried to get full custody um and tried to prevent us from ever from her children ever living in the duplex and what that basically means is this is what they used to do to gay people like okay you can be gay but, you can't have custody of your children, and if you do have custody of your children, they cannot be exposed to your gay partner. Well, that is a huge imposition on someone's life. It kind of ruins your life in terms of creating a family. Mm-hmm. so we we did win. I, I read the book to find yeah. out it wasn't like the courts were like, "Hey, yeah, you know, after. The fact when we got the report, the evaluator, she didn't like us. She didn't like what we were doing. So you were really, I mean, as as a privileged person, as a a person with light skin privilege, like I had read about, and and had friends who had dealt with the court system, and I knew that the court system could be racist. And you you know it's really different when you experience it firsthand because you're really at the mercy of a court system that is very subjective, and you're dealing with people's biases and prejudices. And you know it's interesting that meeting that we had not too long ago with those producers, and they were saying, "Hey, does it matter if we put this in 2008?" And it was such a an interesting thought because I thought you know we haven't made a lot of progress but in terms of open marriage polyamory consensual non-monogamy being hugely accepted however this is where those damn gen z people (laughs) i love them they are so cool they are such more open thinkers and in fact when i was in graduate school like my street cred went up like so far when people heard about my book they were like oh cool Wow, tell me how you pull that off. Like what is that? And um
0: they're asking you advice of how to do
1: it. It's just yeah. like seeing an older person who's doing it who has kids. That's a big thing. And um you know, just like how does it work for you? Because I think a lot of people are looking at the institution of marriage and their parents' marriage and saying, I don't want that. I don't right. want to suffer and stay married just for the sake of staying married. Right. Which, you know, not to say that's everybody's marriage. Like there are people who are married for 56 years. They're crazy in love. They right. have sex. They play. They're... And, and then there are people that, you know, stay together because they feel like that's what they have to do. They have to stay together. So, yeah, very different thing. <sighs>
0: I mean, I would say that polyamory is the more evolved way of thinking in a relationship because marriages, you just have resentment that's bubbling up, but polyamory, you're super communicative, right? Like that's like, you guys are, I I would say the standard, the gold standard, because everything is laid out, right? Is that how it works? Like we're going to be open. We're going to be close. Just tell me how it works, I guess.
1: (laughs) I will tell you how (laughs) it works, but I do want to say there are amazing monogamous relationships and there are terrible monogamous relationships. There are amazing people doing consensual non-monogamy. There are people that are doing things that, I mean, I think Jeffrey Epstein considered himself non monogamous not consensual but you know there so you know there are people that are in the world of consensual non-monogamy who it really is the person can you learn those people skills i have amazing polyamorous clients and consensual non-monogamous clients not everybody uses polyamory you know some people are doing more of a kink thing but the people who do it well really invest the time in being aware of boundaries, being aware of consent, being aware of communication that uses I statements and takes accountability for your own actions and doesn't make assumptions. And when that is happening, it's very cool. And that I think honestly, has to happen in monogamous relationships as well. You know, there are plenty of, I also work with people who are experiencing intimate partner violence. And, you know, that is the other end of the spectrum is when abuse happens because there isn't consent, there isn't uh, autonomy, a sense of uh, both people having their rights and their agency. And yeah. So some people doing consensual non-monogamy are like, this is a superior way to do it. And I don't think that's true. I think everybody has, everybody is on a spectrum. You know, Mm -hmm. I think it would be great if we like, what do you call someone who's married for 40 years? And one day they, they just, they are drawn into this connection with someone and they have an affair. And You know, they, you know, I have heard of people coming to their spouse and saying, I love you so much. And this is what's happening. And they work it through. And they, because it is human to have erotic energy with different people. You know, I have a guy who's like putting cabinets in in my house. Like I'm seeing him, like, you know, doing these phone meetings and in person meetings. And I'm just like so turned on by him. And it may be that he's just like making me this beautiful thing. But what's really cool is that I can go to my spouse and say like, oh my God, I'm masturbating over my cabinet."
0: <laughs> yes. And he's turned on by that. That's that term compersion, right? Well, you well, we, we didn't sleep with somebody. I guess that's I mean, the term. You
1: know, compersion is like, I would say more the dynamic that Orion and I have is we get really worked up and we get kind of jealous and possessive. And then we, we, each other again and it like fires things up you know, for, for people, it's different things, you know, but one thing that I really do appreciate in the marriages that I have been in my first marriage, and now my second marriage is that attractions to other people are not seen as immoral, or bad, or a pathology, you know, what you choose to do with those attractions is a whole nother conversation. But I feel so good that that isn't um a deal breaker you know that i you know could like go off to a book reading or to a showing of my film and you know make out with some cute woman at a bar and come up and tell my husband and um you know and it would be it would be it would it would work us up you know because we're not that's just how we do it. That's how we respond to it. But, you know, I see a lot of suffering in the world around how sexual and erotic energy plays out and gets expressed. And I actually think it really contributes to rape culture, this whole shaming and lack of education around healthy sexuality. And healthy sexuality has a huge spectrum. It has a huge span. You know, there's people who do BDSM, there's people who are asexual there, you know, it's like the fact that we don't learn more about healthy relationships and healthy sexuality in I really think it should start a little bit before middle school, because that's when kids are thinking about it and wondering and trying to figure things out, you know,
0: because you you are a big proponent of Yeah, the sex positive movement and parenting and discussing that with your kids, right? You've written articles on it, like Mm -hmm. how, when did you get started? What, What are your tips for that? Can you just tell us about sex positivity movement and parenting?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it is your kid, you want your kid to read, you want them to eat healthy foods, you want them to get exercise, you want them to do well in school. Well, you also want them to know about healthy relationships. And I feel like it should be a dialogue. And masturbating is this great way for a kid to safely explore their own sexuality. Mm -hmm. I think there's a a misconception that if you encourage your kid to know their body and to masturbate, they will go off and have sex way too young. When I think actually the opposite is true that- You know when they know themselves, when they know how to experience pleasure, and they know their own boundaries, and you know what frightens them, what they need to say no to. That's what you really want to have an ongoing conversation about. I wrote this article. It's on my website. It's called um, "How I Raise Teenagers That Tell Me Everything, Even When It's Hard." And yeah. this article went. It got like a hundred thousand shares in the first week. It was crazy. And it was really funny because I don't think many people clicked on my website and knew that they were getting advice from a polyamorous
0: mother. (laughs) No, no, no,
1: no, no. But they you know, it really gave this advice of a lot of the principles that are part of the consensual non-monogamous world, like knowing your own triggers, knowing your own activation so you don't play them out on your kid having your own life having you know taking good care of what your needs are so you're not trying to live vicariously through your kids not having an ownership mentality about children which is very much a part of our culture of like my house my rules, my or, rules. you know your yeah. your body like i tell you how to dress especially with you know female presenting children and so it was it was a very comprehensive article. And it was kind of, it was great. But I also got emails from kids who said to me, one in particular was really moving, like, I think this person was trans. And they said, my parents have hurt me so much, because they don't, they don't follow these principles. And thank you for writing this, because now I understand what happened here. It was really sad. Yeah. Yeah, I do family therapy too, because I feel like my family, We uh, I taught my kid, there's this Gottman technique, uh, the Gottman studied. they did all these research on couples. And they actually created this bed and breakfast where they would have couples go for the weekend, and they would film them, not at intimate moments, but Every their interactions, and they predict what couples were heading for a divorce and what couples had these really tuned in, attuned habits to each other. And so uh, Orion and I started using their communication techniques, which were like like a seven-part process of like actively listening and mirroring and um, validating what the other person is saying and then talking about how you're activated. So anytime one of my kids get angry <laughs> with one of us, they'll, they'll come downstairs and they'll be like, I need to Gottman with you. <laughs> And then we'll set aside an hour and we'll Gottman and and we'll really unpack. And what inevitably happens every Gottman, which is so magical to me, is that there was a moment where we missed each other, where, oh, I had no idea that I hurt you in that moment. I didn't mean that what I meant was this. And so you resolve these, what Orion calls paper cuts, and you're current with your kids, and, you're, and you can also be current in, with your friends or your lovers, whoever you're doing this process with. That's a big thing that I teach in my in therapy with people who are opening their relationships, so that they can really slow things down and not miss each other and not make assumptions where they really they really don't know what's going on with the other person
0: man you have five minutes left and I have so many other questions for you crap I want to talk about your drama therapy but I also want to talk about just real quickly how your kids and the polyamory of it all was that how did they adjust to it was there a transition period was it right from the get go they accepted it Like how, how was that part well, of
1: it well my daughter Tallulah in, in the book <laughs> yeah. she was at 10 she was the oldest and she really when I started writing about the kind of conversations that uh, the way that she Confronted me, my editors, when I was writing the book, they were like, this is interesting. <laughs> Give us more Tallulah scenes. And um, it's really funny because she was 10. 10 is a very conforming developmentally age. You want to be like your peers. You don't want to stand out. And as she got older, some people like in high school, like saw a few of the videos that were made of me and stuff. And they were like, this is really cool. Your mom's cool. <laughs> and she actually got a little bit into wanting to have some openness want in her relationships and wanting to have choices basically, and really create her relationships the way that she wanted to have them. So what I've learned is that kids when you well, first of all good parents screen anybody who comes into contact with their kids. They're super careful who comes into contact with, you know, your kids. So that's one thing that you always want to do. Polyamory can be a better situation because like what happened for us was we had more co- people to co-parent with and, you know, now my kids like Orion is the person we call him the The like fix it the problem solver like if you have any problem like about getting into a school or getting a job or how do I get my credit report my son is trying to get his credit report like Orion is such a present parent so Polly can be more like the village you're parenting with other people and I think that's really like I didn't have extended family to parent with and neither did Hank. And so we became like extended family. And again, you know, really good parents, you're always very attuned to your kids and making sure, you know, since there are so many different ways to do consensual non-monogamy, like if you tend to have more sexual dates, like maybe those people are, you don't introduce them to your kids because they, you know, they don't need to know them. But kids really want stability and to feel that they're the center of your world and you're attuned to them. And right. that was a little weird when I suddenly had a lover and and my kids were like, yeah, we, we don't like this. <laughs> we, we don't give a shit about you getting a lady. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, what a track But, you know, Orion turned out to be this amazing co-parenter. So, you know, when I said to them, like, look, trust me, this is going to work out hang in there with me. It was hard. Like my son was five and, um, you know, he felt like he was like competing with Orion in the beginning. And it it took so long for that dynamic to go away. I I read this thing uh, when we were creating a blended family, I read um, that it takes 12 years to really gel as a blended family. When I read that was like, that's crazy. And now what is it like, 14 years later, I mean, we, we were having amazing interactions. Like the three younger kids were always playing together, but really the trust and the cohesiveness, it can take a long time. And one other thing, just because there are so many blended families, let your family have the culture that it has. Like the, you know, the step parent may be more like an auntie, or uh, you know an artisan residence who plays with the kids or whatever. You huh. gotta let it organically unfold. I think the worst thing you can do is come in and be like, "I'm your new step parent, and I'm yeah. gonna discipline you." And I, like right. I said to. Orion, like I'm going to be uh, handing out candy and gum <laughs> and taking them on field trips. Give <laughs> me a cool dance.
0: Dance. Yeah. <laughs> the cool hands,
1: yeah. Connection is huge, and to build that trust, you have to you have to have a lot of positive experiences in the bank, and oh. then maybe you know, as the years went by, one thing I became very <laughs> strident about was like. People, you got to clean up. You got to clean up after yourselves. And so, you know, I would push my stepkids and my bio kids. But even in the beginning, I would let Orion do that because, um, yeah, you're trying to build the cohesiveness, and that can be super challenging. Oh
0: my god! I, I we could talk for. 5,000 more hours, what? holy shit. But before you go, you got to go real quick. I would be amiss not to mention that you went back to school. Was it 2022 or 2021? Uh, 2018
1: to 2022. Oh, was when Okay, I got- so you
0: just finished. And are you now an official marriage and family therapist? I'm an
1: associate, associate marriage and family marriage- therapist. I have uh, just a few more hours to get licensed and I oh. have a practice. So you oh can my find God. me gracewalcott.com. I love oh, my poly clients. I see couples, I see teenagers, families, and I do these river of life workshops, LGBTQ workshops that are drama therapy that <sighs> um, you can go to river of life, LGBTQ.com and see the trailer to the film and sign up to see the film. And it's really, really all about the queer community healing together and healing trauma together. And, art expressive arts therapy and drama therapy and psychodrama are so amazing for that and all the research really shows that depression anxiety trauma like if you have a community that you feel fully seen and supported and loved that is what heals trauma and you know doing that work together is Actually, drama therapy can be really fun. I you, you looked
0: like it. I, Watching I, it in the documentary, I was like, I, how have I not done this?
1: Yeah, <laughs> like, it's yeah. I'll do a workshop in LA and we, we'll. Are you
0: we'll, should? Oh my God, come on down. We, <laughs> could, we could get a huge crew. We all need it down here. We're all yeah. just uh, miserable in the uh, terrible <laughs> economy that we have. <laughs> yeah,
1: but, come uh, on down. <laughs>
0: oh my God. I'm so proud of you. And thank you so much for oh, doing this. Thank you so much. Uh, Our listeners are going to love fun. you. I want to like do. Two more hours with you we might have to have you on again i swear people are gonna I love, would love it i would be honored oh my god
1: thank
0: you yeah i'll let you go okay thank, thank you so much
1: that- Bye.
0: bye Thank you for joining us on I Love That For You. Our theme song is by Vaudeville and used with permission. Our cover art is by Jenny Lamb. edited to the best of our abilities by Kelly and Red. If you want us to spotlight someone, have questions, or just want to say hi, email us at ilovethatforyoupod at gmail.com or join us on Instagram at I love that for you pod to join the love fest and see what else we get up to. Episodes are available on Apple podcasts, Spotify, basically wherever else you listen. We appreciate all your love. And if you want to help support the show, please rate review and subscribe to the show on Apple podcasts. This helps us spread the love and reach more people. Thanks for listening. We love you.